Do you feel like you're the only young person who cares about your Catholic faith? Do you look around at mass and only see silver foxes? We're Jake and Kathy, a young adult married couple, and we're here to tell you, you're not alone. That's why it's time to get Truth Pops. You're going to get a podcast designed specifically for you, a young adult Catholic in a pop culture world. The countdown is on for Truth Pop. We'll connect Christ into culture. The show that brings you in where the magic happens. Welcome to The Writer's Room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. Today I'm joined by Sif Pop Writer and Managing Editor Ben. What's going on, guys? Obviously, we write for SifPop.com, providing you with movie reviews, best ever challenges, and other interesting related movie articles. So make sure you check out the website, SifPop.com, to keep up with those. Ben does a great job assembling and publishing all the stuff that goes on there. So uh, really love the stuff that's going on, Ben. Uh, happy Thank that you're you our managing editor. Hey, man, we have two new series out right now. Um, both of them are fantastic. Um, they'll be dropping on the last Tuesday and last Thursdays of the month. One is 20th Century uh, Flicks, which is where our writer Reed Williams goes and takes and reviews and talks about movies that came out prior to the year 2000. So movies that aren't maybe talked about enough or maybe people from my generation just haven't seen yet. Uh, and then, of course, <clears throat> there is On the Contrary which is by our wonderful writer, uh, Robert Buffard, who goes over two movies that have opposing themes and talks about why they mean so much to him. Both are great series and they have two, uh, two of them are out right. Or both of them are out right now, actually with Blade Runner for 20th century flicks and the gray and uh, silence for on the contrary. So awesome. And I'm really glad that you brought that up because uh, I have really enjoyed reading those those articles as well. And I think everybody else would. Uh, but for our show today here, we're going to start off in the pitch, which is now that's good. We're on schedule. Can't promise too much after that, as always. Uh, we'll soon move on to the stomach attraction, coming attractions where we'll give our thoughts on what's coming out soon. And then under a SIF topic, where we'll be talking about the, the legendary comic book movie, The Crow. We'll then explore the B-plot, answering a question uh, that we have uh, for the show, and then wrap up with a spin-off quick recommender warning from each one of us. But first, let's get a chance to know our writer a little bit more this week. Ben, you've been on four, five, six times, something like that now. So uh, so we've gotten a chance to ask you all the basic questions. And so uh, I, I, I figure something we can do is a little bit of something that we haven't done with a guest yet. But I have here a list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight descriptions that are uh, movie plots that are described poorly so what i thought would be fun for this is if i read these movie plots and you try to guess what that movie is that sound like fun to you sounds like a good time okay well i'll start you off with an easy one so you can kind of get in the rhythm of this and so uh, a group spends nine hours returning jewelry oh my god um i'm you got me <laughs> Um, I it came out the gate real hot. <laughs> it, uh, I got this is this is lukewarm pitching right here. This is oh, uh, oh. how about uh, how about uh, a simple this a different description I heard for this same story is boy travels across land to destroy family heirloom. Lord of the Rings. 
See, it's making it's, see a little bit of a womp. We got to get yeah. in the groove of thinking the way we're thinking of things. Okay. So yeah, group spends nine hours returning returning jewelry, and I mean, of course, that's theatrical editions, and really, it's nine and a half. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, that is that is how you can poorly describe Lord of the Rings. Ben, I would be surprised if you don't if you don't get this one. This is a paranoid billionaire afraid of immigrants. Oh, Batman versus Superman. Let's go. <laughs> there you go. Maybe that was the one I should have let off with. Um, and maybe another one that I would classify on the easy category. Let's go with everyone tries the ice bucket challenge. Titanic. <laughs> there we go. All right. Well, we've got you warmed up. You seem to be pretty good at this now. So let's move on to the medium challenge. How about a family's first Airbnb experience goes terribly wrong? Us. That's. I, I could see how that would, would be would be that that's not the one that i have written down here oh you got another uh, guess uh I'm, I'm not sure then how about i give you a hint that it is a spooky season movie okay um friday the 13th it's not friday the 13th and i don't know enough about the story to say yes or no but uh what if i give you there was a recent sequel to this movie Airbnb goes really, really wrong. I'm not sure. I'm going to tap out on this one. Okay. This is uh, The Shining. Oh, my God. Uh, how did that get me? Dr. Sleep, of course. That was like my number five favorite film last year. I think mine, too. And I didn't know how to describe this this movie other with the hints other you know, without giving it away. Because if I'd have said Kubrick or Jack Nicholson or something like that. I mean, that's just too easy of a hint, yeah. right? And, you know, Spooky Season was very vague, but then I gave you the other one of recent sequel, which, you know, is there's nothing indicating when the original came out. So yeah. um, there we go. All right. Um, how about a wisecracking boiler technician teaches high school students to believe in their dreams? <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> there we go. Oh, that was one of my favorites, uh, especially the believe in their dreams. Part. Yeah, that's, that's pretty darn funny. <laughs> That's a certain twist on the the plot. Oh, yeah. Well, how about this is a certain twist on a plot. Uh, This is the last one in the medium category. How about uh, an alcoholic orphan orphan and his boss burn down his family house? Batman Begins? Yeah, I saw that somebody answered Batman Begins for that. And I I think you could accept it, but uh, that is not not the intended answer. An an alcoholic uh, orphan orphan. and his boss burn down family home. I'm not sure, man. I'm drawing a blank. Um, okay. What see. if I said that this is part of a franchise and this movie came out in the last 10 years? Alcoholic. Star Wars The Last Jedi? No. Um, Force Tree. Okay. That's okay. That's okay. We're going to go. It was Skyfall was what we were going for. Of course. Of course. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that movie in, in quite some time. So that would probably be why. Okay. These are these are some of those that it's it's really hard. Like it's really obvious after you know it. But yeah. I promise you, you're doing very good. So uh, I got two more for you, and these are both on the on what I would define as the hard scale. So okay. um, American invades foreign land, kills local leadership, and struggles to find an exit strategy. All right, repeat it one more time for me. An American invades foreign land, kills local leadership, and struggles to find an exit strategy. Platoon. Not a not a bad guess. Uh, that's a pretty good one. Uh, think older. Think like nineteen thirties. Nineteen thirties. I am. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, no, I might what if I said be... that? What if I said that this American is from Kansas? Uh it's not. It's not Superman, is it? No. Yeah, it wouldn't be Superman. I'm. Not, I'm drawing a blank, man. 
it's okay. This is the hard tier. This is the hard tier. I wouldn't get this either. Uh, the 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 answer we were going for is the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Your face is priceless. What? <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! The description's not wrong. That's why this is funny. The description's not wrong, but it's very difficult to guess until you hear it. And then it's like, oh well, duh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, very last one. Um, I, I believe in you. I have confidence in you. Okay. Uh, military kid wants a permanent vacation in Europe, but car trouble brings him back to America. Car trouble brings him back to America? <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> this I, one is so good. <laughs> I don't even know. I'm not even going to give you hints. This is the Godfather. <laughs> Military kid wants a permanent vacation in Europe, but car trouble brings him back to America. Because <laughs> the car bomb and... Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Hits you right in the face as soon as you say it. God. Well, Ben, here's what I will tell you, is you did infinitely better than I did on this. So I'm I'm proud of you for doing, you. For doing good you. and for playing along. Um, course, I, you, are, you are much smarter and more knowledgeable than me. You <laughs> don't know about that, but thank you. And how about, how about uh, one silly question, as we always do before we get into this? And so, uh, Ben, you and I are, are sports fans. You're, you're a little bit more of a sports fan than I am in general. Uh, I mostly just stick to hockey and some college football. But uh, but you're kind of an all around guy, Ben. What sport would be the funniest to add mandatory alcohol to? <laughs> Tennis, for sure. Okay, because I'm thinking football. People will just get angry. That's true. You know, very physical sport. People will just get angry. It wouldn't be fun to watch, really. No. UFC, obviously, it's terrible. It'd be like watching drunk fights. It's not. It's not entertaining at all. Hockey. Pretty much the same thing. Hockey's already violent. Just add alcohol, it'd be even more violent. But I'm thinking of like <laughs> tennis players being hammered, <laughs> swinging like ten feet away from the ball. <laughs> I that just would be funny to watch. I, I just feel like that would be hilarious. Or them stumbling to to hit the ball. Like, could you imagine Johnny McEnroe playing hammered? That would be hysterical. This is a really hard question because I'm like you. I don't want I don't want to get people hurt. And so football and hockey are not the right answer for this, even though you might initially think that hockey might be the best answer. But I don't want to get people hurt. No, and exactly. Nobody would get hurt if everybody's playing drunken tennis. I mean, aside from especially if you're like really running across and you just lose your balance and just the, trip and fall. But we're talking scraped knees and elbows. Yeah, right? the person playing tennis would get hurt, but they wouldn't be hurt by another person. It would just be their drunkenness. Yeah, yeah and we're talking something that a Band-Aid could fix in three days. Exactly. Unless they just yeah. twist and break their ankle somehow or land wrong on their wrist. But, you know, it wouldn't be okay. nearly as bad as, you know, very combative physical sports people coming at each other. I just feel like that would be a toxic mix. However, tennis or chess would be really fun to watch people play drunk. You know, I didn't even think about chess. I think that might be the Trump answer. Yep. And of course, golf. Golf is always hilarious. My answer was going to be golf. Um, (laughs) And and my initial thought was, well, what about baseball? Because nobody, you can't really get hurt. But I mean, if the first of all, the every batter would either be walked or <laughs> swing horribly, or and the pitcher strike out. throwing the ball 
That's a ball. Go take your base. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, you know, nobody's going to get hurt in that, but no, that's not going to be fun to watch. No. Um, so, so, so that's why I initially, you know, my initial thought was baseball, but then not, you know, maybe if it's just like mandatory, like outfielders have to be drunk or something, <laughs> that might be different. That would be very similar uh, to the tennis as opposed to the, uh, exactly. the, the chess. The physical humor would be really hilarious for like tennis or or sure. or something like that, but uh, or the outfielders, like you said. But something like chess would be really funny because I don't know if you've ever drunk texting is is awful. If you've ever tried to send a text while you're drunk, it's very difficult to do. So could you imagine having to play a mind game like chess? Chess is a mind game. You're playing. You're trying to outwit and outsmart your other opponent, trying to think a step ahead of them. So, could you imagine doing that while drunk? It would be. It's a recipe for disaster, but it's also hilarious. See, I think so. I think I think chess is probably going to be the Trump answer, but I, I was going to say golf because I golf is such a quiet sport. It's such a relaxed sport. It's such a focused sport. And if you could take away the elements of what makes golf golf, and you know, all of a sudden you have pros like tiger woods that are either whiffing the ball or getting really awful shots on it uh it would be that i mean to me that would be really entertaining and you know we're talking like you know maybe especially across the uh the the 18 holes that they typically play like you could even make it like they have to finish a certain amount of an alcoholic beverage at each hole and so it doesn't even have to be like you start incredibly intoxicated because yes again we're talking safety here so if you start yeah. completely sober and then you know you have half of a beer by the time that you <laughs> by hole eighteen the guy's shirt is untucked exactly <laughs> and like look I don't <laughs> no part of me wants to go spectate golf but if the if the golfers were mandatory you know uh, had mandatory alcohol I mean they like tee up facing the crowd like they're gonna swing and hit you I mean that that's, that sounds funny <laughs> what I think would even be funnier than the golfers being drunk would be the commentators. For golf because normally okay. they're, they're talking real slow you know like to quote robin williams can you speak softly or uh, quieter i want to hear the grass grow like they sound exactly like that this is an interesting take on that question because which which sport would have the better commentators that are inebriated i mean and frankly any sport right it, yeah <laughs> uh, it would be entertaining but golf would be so funny <laughs> My, my yeah my thought is that they either have to be the incredibly slow paced calm and relaxed ones like golf or they have to be the incredibly fast paced ones like uh like hockey but you know i don't know i don't know about baseball again because there's so much so much downtime I and mean, football would be fun too football would be fun um baseball could be fun i'm 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 not a baseball fan not not don't mean to anger anybody i'm not really the biggest baseball fan i love going to baseball games i am married to someone from Ohio that l- grew up close to the Cleveland area. So I'm an, uh, a Cleveland Indians fan. Okay. And I love going to their games. It's so much fun. But as, as a sport in general, I just I never gravitated toward it. However, could you imagine how much more entertaining it would be to watch that at home if the announcers were drunk? Yeah. Yeah. Well, for that, we'll, we'll just have to defer to our resident stiff pop base, uh, baseball expert, Robert Buffard. Robert, uh, let us know on Twitter on if you think that baseball would be more entertaining to watch if the commentators were inebriated. Please do. <laughs> and on that note, how about we move on to the coming attraction? 
this week is uh, is the Trial of Chicago Seven, which is a little bit interesting of a, of a movie. So this was already supposed to be released in select theaters uh, at the in September, but because most of them were shut down and distribution and things like that, I don't I don't think it ever actually did get distributed anywhere. I don't know because the local cinema that I have here in Iowa City that would be showing it um, has not opened yet because of COVID, and so um, so I don't know if this is actually released in theaters yet. Uh, but this is coming out on Netflix this Friday, so um, so this is Wednesday that this episode launches. So two days from now, you'll be able to watch the Chicago, the trial of the Chicago Seven. And so some people may have already seen this, and some people like me have not. And and Ben was fortunate enough to have seen this movie, and so uh, this is going to look a little bit different for our coming attraction because Ben's not going to give you any spoilers on the movie. He's not. Uh, he's just, uh, we've asked him to give him some general thoughts, uh, but first I'll give you a synopsis and I'm going to ask Ben to time travel back and kind of take us back to before being able to see this and uh, kind of what was going through his head. So synopsis for this movie is a story of seven people on trial stemming from various charges surrounding the uprising at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago, Illinois. Big, big, uh, big thing about this movie is that it is the newest movie uh, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. This is Sorkin's second movie that he's directed behind Molly's Molly's Game, but this is his, I think, tenth that he's written. Uh, and if you know screenwriters in Hollywood, then you should know the name Aaron Sorkin. So um, that's kind of one of the biggest claims to fame. And this is based off a true story. That's worth mentioning as well. This is not a fictionalized story. Um, this, but this is based off a true story. This is uh, events. And so, man, Ben, take yourself back a couple weeks ago before seeing this movie. What was going through your head? Kind of how how excited were you to see this movie? If you if this was going to be a theatrical release and you were going to be able to see it, you know, would you have gotten there opening night? Uh, wait to catch a matinee, save a few bucks. Wait to ca- to catch it at home and rent it. Wait till it's on a streaming service you already pay for. Or were you just not really interested in seeing this movie? I would have seen this uh, probably opening night. Uh, I I love Aaron Sorkin's writing. You know, A Few Good Men, The Social Network, of course, Molly Game, Molly's Game, which was his directorial debut. I thought was terrific. Um, I thought Jessica Chastain deserved an Oscar nomination for that movie. I don't think she got one, but no. I, I mean, and Idris Elba did as well. But yes, uh, Idris Elba was terrific in that, and Michael Cera. Yeah, I, I, I would have been there opening night because, I, like I said, I love Aaron Sorkin. Uh, and the premise, it's very timely. And the trailer, I just remember remember watching the trailer and the the whole throughout it is the whole world is watching chant. And there's something about that that rings true to today. So given that the trailer, when I first saw it, hearing that and seeing that the way the trailer was edited really brought it home to today's time that we're currently living in. I thought, okay, well, this is going to be a very timely movie. This is going to be something that's definitely going to get some Oscar consideration. So I'm going to need to be there opening night. That's that's probably where I would have fallen. Yeah, uh, I would have definitely been there opening night. Uh, this has everything that ticks my boxes. I mean, this is a cleverly a, a screenplay writer that is known for being clever. Um, and I, like you, really love Molly's Game. I think it was very underappreciated at award seasons. I think Jessica Chastain gave the best female performance of that year, in my opinion. And she wasn't even nominated for an Oscar. I thought Idris Elba was doing incredible work. Um, I think Sorkin was showed that he could be very competent behind a camera. Uh, even, um, oh, Kevin, uh, the dad, uh, what's his last name? Costner. Kevin, Kevin Costner. Costner. 
he was terrific too. And uh, there were some the the movies the movie wasn't perfect, but I really enjoyed it. And I mean, we're talking Sorkin's track record. I mean, I, I those of you listening to the show know that I watched Newsroom right about the time that it started. I mean, that that's just an incredible movie. And of course, A Few Good Men is a goat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this that movie's excellent. But uh, aside from a competent director and a and a witty, clever, maybe the smartest screenwriter in Hollywood. Uh, right now, I mean, the cast for this movie is excellent. I mean, you haven't even talked about that yet, but we got Eddie Eddie Redmayne in our lead, Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, Jeremy Strong, uh, John Lynch Carroll, uh, Yaha Abdul and Mantine the second, Mark Rylance, who, according to Dicer, is just stellar in this. Um, Absolutely, uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt, uh, Frank Langella. This is this is a stacked cast. It's a stacked um, cast and it's got two recent Oscar winners in it with Eddie Redmayne for the theory of everything and Mark Rylance for uh body. Oh, it's not uh, spies. spies. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. I have not seen that one, but uh, I recognize him from you know, Dunkirk. If you, if you've seen that, he's the, he's the owner of the local boat where they go to, to take the, he's the also boys in, to go. He's also in ready player one. That's right. That's right. That's the other one I know him from. Uh, and you should know Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, Sasha Baron Cohen, and Eddie Redmayne. Uh, John Carroll Lynch, probably most known for playing um, Norm Gunderson in Fargo, but he also played Arthur Lee Allen in Zodiac, and he played one of the McDonald's brothers in The, the Founder. Uh, Jeremy Strong. This is Has Jeremy Strong done anything serious before this movie? I mean, he's, he's mostly known for doing those like old school – oh, wait, no, I'm thinking of a different – uh, a different guy. I'm thinking of who's the guy I'm thinking. The dean in old school. You're you're, you're thinking of uh, Jeremy. It's Pippen. Jeremy something. It's Jeremy, Jeremy Pippen. Pippen. That's something. Yeah. No, not um, not the same actor. <laughs> so Jeremy Strong. It looks like uh, the Big Short, The Happening, ugh, The Gentleman, uh, Secession. If you watch that, The Happening's uh, a comedy, sort of. <laughs> uh, Molly's Game. Oh, he plays the the person that Molly starts uh, starts dealing for or waits serving for the first person that yeah. gets Molly into the poker's game. He was in Detroit, which is an excellent underseen movie. Looks like Black Mass. Uh, yeah, this guy's this guy's good. Um, Zero Dark Thirty, Lincoln. Yeah, I'm thinking of Jeremy Piven for some reason. I don't know why. My bad. Uh, and it looks like Alex Sharp, which I don't recognize by name or really by face, but it looks yeah. like he's in the hustle. Looks nine credits. He looks like to be a, a newcomer. He's going to be in the the Game of Thrones prequel coming now, out here. I will tell you my favorite performance in this movie comes from the two. The they're on the same side, but they're not in the same case. I guess you could say. But like, it's Sasha Baron Cohen and Eddie Redmayne. To me, there are two performances, and how the two performances are just terrific. I mean, the performances across the board in this movie are absolutely amazing. But there's something about the way that Sasha Baron Cohen's character and uh, Eddie Remain's character want to accomplish the same thing. They just have different ways of going about it. And that kind of comes to a head. And I really love their juxtaposition with each other and how the performances are handled, especially Sasha Baron Cohen. You know, when you look at him, you think of movies like Talladega Nights, think of the, the Ology show. And you think of uh, Borat, of course, which the sequel's coming out soon. That's what you think about when you think about Sasha Baron Cohen, but he has some dramatic chops. 
uh, and he shows him in this movie, and I think he's going to be the one that gets the supporting actor nomination for this film, which is an ensemble cast. But I, I think he's going to be the one that that gets a lot of the love, especially because he has one of the best lines of dialogue from the movie, which is, you know, give me a second, my friend. I've never been on trial for my thoughts before. Mm. So he's he's terrific in this movie. And I love the dynamic between those two performances. Well, and how weird is this that we're talking about Sasha Baron Cohen in a terrific role and they just randomly announced a surprise Borat sequel that we'll be talking about in a couple of weeks. I can't wait. Like, <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be a really interesting juxtaposition that, uh, Oh, I didn't put it on the calendar here. When does that movie come out? October 23rd. So I'll be talking about that next week. Actually, uh, man, how weird is that going to be? What a juxtaposition <laughs> potential Oscar winning role. And then, freaking Borat. <laughs> well, if you remember, you know, when Borat came out, I think that came out when I was I think I was around 12, 13 years old. That movie was beloved when it came out. And it got a lot of critical acclaim for it. Um, so maybe this will be the same. I know a lot of people still love the first Borat movie and they love the statements that the movie was trying to make. So maybe this will have the same effect. It's coming out, you know, at a very timely season for it so we'll see what the reaction will be but the first trailer was really funny i forgot to add borat in the schedule so now i'm looking i'm like do we want to just talk borat (laughs) (laughs) you want to talk borat right now yeah 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 sure why not let's add it let's add it to our coming attraction so (laughs) anyway so that's an interesting juxtaposition and you know let's we're going to talk about borat here in just a second it doesn't come out until october 23rd but we got some movies lined up next week uh but want to get back to the trial of chicago seven here real quick that i'm i'm 100 here for this and kind of you know i mentioned it ticks all the boxes for me and i mean it's the most niche box that there has ever been but aaron sorkin courtroom drama is is like the biggest box that you could that you could possibly put so um I, i'm really excited for this movie by i'm excited this comes out on a friday as opposed to wednesday because fridays are like kind of the time that I can get around to watching a movie. I'm pretty busy on Wednesday nights and you know. um, Thursdays as well. And, but I'm really excited that I can watch this. And my wife isn't into courtroom dramas, so she can't. I tried to convince my wife to that we should go to um, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird is is in the, the play right now. And it's by an Aaron Sorkin script. And I'm like, I want to go see that. And she's like, eh. Oh, I'm my like, God. Fine. <laughs> like, I bet that would be uh, amazing to watch. It's got to be. And, you know, nothing wrong with the Gregory Peck movie or nothing even wrong with the book by harper lee but yeah man i want to see i want to see the the sorkin written one according to afi uh gregory peck's character in that film is the greatest hero of all time he's 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 got to be up there right absolutely i think i think it's on the list of potential goats to talk about with robert even though i'm pretty sure we've both seen it but uh sometime to talk about it in depth with him but Man, I'm I am so excited for this movie. Um, I will be watching it as soon as I possibly can. It's immediately jumps into my watch. Watch. I was thinking about this was one of my most anticipated movies from the year, and I was thinking about you know initially when you know when it was still 2019 and the world hadn't ended yet, uh, kind of where this would have fallen on, and it would it would have fallen right behind I think uh, definitely Tenet and No Time to Die, and it would have fallen behind probably without remorse and it would have probably been right there with ghostbusters afterlife and last night in soho the new edgar wright horror movie so uh that's kind of like where i was it probably would have been like maybe four potentially even three i might have even put this above without remorse but this This, is one of them this is a great movie you know like having seen it so i'm not i'm not gonna spoil anything i'll just um you know i was fortunate enough to to write a review for for sifbop 
facebook.com proper. So if you, if you want to know, you know, what my in-depth thoughts are on that movie, then go, go over to sifpop.com and check that out. But, and that, and that article doesn't have spoilers, correct? No. People can browse freely. Yes. Do not put spoilers in movie reviews, but this is an excerpt from my review that really, it, it perfectly, Capsulates my, my feelings towards it, and that is The Trial of Chicago 7 is a powerful and uh, timely, expertly crafted, exceptionally written courtroom drama that left me feeling angry, appalled, deeply moved, and, and shaken because it, a lot of the themes still to this day apply. So it's, it is a, it's not just a good movie, I think it's a great movie. And when the movie, you know, in the trailer, when it says the whole world is watching, I think the whole world should watch this movie right now. That's a good observation. And I'm glad that, that you brought that up. I, yeah, I'm going to watch this movie for sure as soon as I possibly can. So uh, on a completely different note, but somewhat related because of an actor. Uh, man, you want to talk about Borat's subsequent film for a bit? <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, Borat's subsequent movie film, uh, sub- subtitle is Delivery of Prodigious Bra- uh, yeah, Pro- prodigious bride to American regime to make benefit once glorious nation of Kazakhstan <laughs> is a, is a follow-up to the 2006 comedy starring the real life adventures of fictional Kazakh television journalist named Borat. <laughs> we were talking about this briefly, Ben, what's your experience with the original Borat? Okay. Um, I, uh, <laughs> this movie came out when I was around 12, 13 years old. And I obviously, I didn't see this movie in theaters. But my oldest sister got it for me for my birthday, if I remember correctly, <laughs> because I begged her for it. And so she got it for me for my birthday. And I remember watching it. A lot of the jokes obviously went completely over my head, but I I, I thought at the time that it was really funny. A lot of the physical stuff was really funny. And watching it now, though, as an adult, it makes a lot of very poignant statements without bashing you over the head about our culture and everything is really relevant but it's ridiculously funny it's ridiculous the only thing i don't like about the first movie is when he goes to visit the jewish family and they are just so sweet and nice and he's making a joke out of it obviously because you know Bart doesn't like jewish people um but i don't i don't like it because they're very sweet to him and he treats him very meanly but i digress the movie itself is really funny um did you uh have you seen the first borat movie what are your thoughts on it i've i've seen bits and pieces this came out in 2006 so i was 11 and um i I, i've seen bits and pieces but from what i remembered i didn't really like the bits and pieces although i mean this is one of those that it's really hard to avoid seeing it in subculture i mean and i always love seeing uh I use the GIF frequently of him going, very nice. So, very nice. <laughs> so, uh, and, and there was that really funny sketch in a, uh, and it's always sunny in Philadelphia where they just keep going, boy, it's very nice, boy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love that show. I, so I had seen, I, I, I had seen bits and pieces and I remember thinking it was just dumb, but you know, I, I think I was probably too young to get most of the jokes and, um, and to really understand what the movie was trying to do. And, Man, I watched the trailer of this just because I was just so interested and uh, to, to kind of see like, because this came out of nowhere, right? They didn't announce that this was happening a while ago, did they? This was announced either back in, I think back in September or August. Okay. August, September, somewhere in there. 
and then it had its first trailer and it's getting released this this month so it's it's crazy how sometimes they'll shoot those smaller films in secret and then you find i love it when they do that i agree i I love when they do some of these surprise sequels but i also kind of love on the on the other end where you get something like super troopers too where it's just the fans that are clamoring for something uh but Man, this this movie looks funny, and I am so invested in this trailer that I'm I'm watching the original again. And I was really upset when when the trailer released. I looked to see if, where I could stream it online, the original one, and uh, and it wasn't available anywhere. And I'm like, but pr- so first of all, Amazon Prime. This is going to be a Prime exclusive for a while. Um, so if you want to catch out, bo- check out Borat too. You'll have to go to Prime Video. You'll have to have that. Uh, and so. I was surprised that nowhere had this movie to stream, especially Amazon prime. And like a week later they got it or something like that. So I was, I was really surprised. Cause I'm like, I want to watch this movie now. And like, it's not on Blu-ray. It's really expensive. If you want to buy it on digital or anything like that. And even the DVDs are pretty expensive because it's not on Blu-ray. That's the only way you can get it. And so, and when I'm talking pretty expensive, I'm talking 15 bucks for digital, but, and uh, they'll probably, 10 or so for a physical somewhere but still like this is a 15 year old movie almost yeah almost 15 year old movie i don't i don't want to pay 15 bucks for a 15 year old movie but um but yeah it's on prime now i'm gonna be streaming this sometime soon definitely before this comes out man my excitement level for this movie is opening weekend because the trailer had me hooked what about you yeah the trailer was ridiculously funny i love the especially the part where he he's in the uh was it a gynecologist office with his daughter or something like that something like that yeah <laughs> whatever I, I can't remember it's the doctor's reaction that is really funny to me <laughs> it, it, it's really funny um, I've only seen the trailer once, but that, that is a thing that I thought was hilarious. That, and of course, the Donald Trump thing was really funny too. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And the, and the Mike Pence scene. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I'm really excited for this movie and I, you know, but here's the thing is, I don't know why I am. It just, it looks, it made me laugh a lot. I think I'm probably at that age. Um, and I think that I can probably understand, um, some of what the jokes were going for a little bit more and, I'm here. If you give the original uh, another shot, which, as you said, you you plan on it, I think, I think you might enjoy it a little bit more now, um, because I kind of went through the same thing where I thought, okay, this is funny, but I don't, I don't get it. Well, it's because I was 13 years old watching a movie that some of the jokes just went completely over my head, as opposed to now, I, I get all of it. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Well, and it's, does the original one have like jokes that are dated that you just don't understand anymore? Because I mean, because I feel like this is some of the like things that they're doing here. I think they might be dated in here in a couple of years, especially depending on how the presidency turns out. I don't uh, think so. The I, mean, election. I mean, Pamela Anderson isn't as popular as she was, but people still know who she people is. Know who she, exactly, and people know okay. who she watches. Um, so they'll get the gist of the main plot. And of course people know who George W. Bush is. So yeah, <laughs> they'll get the gist okay. of the main plot. Okay, cool. Well, uh, as a quick reminder, you can stream the trial of Chicago on Netflix on October 16th and you can stream Borat subsequent movie film on October 23rd on Amazon prime. So a couple, couple of movies that we're both very excited for coming to streaming soon. On, on, I don't know how there's a transition to The Crow, but... but let's <laughs> yeah, it, right? that's, a, that's a hard transition, so... We're going to be talking about The Crow here. This is a 1994 movie. 
which is my all-time favorite year for movies. Although, as I was talking about with somebody, I think 2021 is going to be my new favorite year for movie because it seems like there's two blockbusters because it's all the 2020 stuff pushed back plus all the... Anyway, um, this is a 1994 movie uh, that the synopsis for this is a man brutally murdered comes back to life as an undead avenger of his and his fiance's murder. And that's, you know, fairly vague, but this is... Yeah, we'll talk about it in a second. Um, but I do want to warn for spoilers here up front that, uh, that we're going to be talking about this movie freely. Uh, we're going to talk as if we assume that you've already seen it. Uh, part of that is because this movie is uh, 26 years old. And a part of that is, you know, I let you know a month ago that we were talking about The Crow. So spoiler warning if that's something that, you know, you wanted to hear. <laughs> um, before we talk about the movie itself, Ben, what's your history with this movie? So for starters, my love for this movie goes way back. So I saw this for the first time one summer on HBO, I think. I believe I was... My my parents, I think, were like doing something at the time, so I was watching uh, watching this without their permission. I watched it around eight or nine years old, and I just remember thinking the lead actor playing Eric Draven, the character, was really charismatic, and his his face paint reminded me of of Sting's from Wrestling's from WCW. Which it wasn't until later I realized that that's who Sting really based his gimmick off of. Uh, but I, I remember really enjoying the movie overall and loving the gothic architecture and the, the simplicity of the story. Before I get too ahead of myself, it wasn't until I was you know around 13, 14 years old when I revisited this and completely fell in love with it. When was the first time that uh, you kind of first saw this movie and what was your, your first impression? Um, I first saw this movie in high school. I'd never heard about it until high school. And um, I, I have to give a shout out here to my, my friend Mike. Uh, Mike is the guy that I, I was talking about this when I talked about uh, on the on the very pilot of this episode of this um, podcast that we were talking about how how I got into movies and it was because of a person and that person was Mike and this is one of Mike's most beloved movies and so when Mike started to bring out the movie fanatic in me this area um, of of my life I wanted to dive into the ones that he thought was really special Mike had a tattoo of the crow on his leg and so he actually had two separate ones and so on the left side of his calf he had brandon lee's face in the crow makeup and on the right side of his right calf he has um the crow's face sketched from the comic book from the graphic novel that's really and, cool uh, it was one of those things that i asked him about it's one of the first things you know about him especially because i met him around summertime with still shorts weather i'm like man what is that creepy dude you have painted on your leg and you uh, and he he mentioned it's from this movie, The Crow, who, which is this action movie that's really great. And the actor tragically died on set. And so we'll we'll talk about that here in a little bit. And, but um, but I was introduced to this movie um, through Mike because of Mike, and uh, and so I've seen it probably probably ten times since then. I think I like this movie more than I should because I have that connection to Mike, and this being the one that kind of sparked um, Mike's sparking movie love for me out of it. So so if you're listening, Mike, I, I am dedicating this episode, at least this portion of the episode, to you, uh, because without you, I wouldn't be anywhere near this today. So so that's my history with the movie. Uh and I watched it again last week because I wanted to show it to my wife. And this is the kind of stuff that she's interested in. Nice, nice. So, 
when I first saw this movie, I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. I thought it was cool. Like the, the Gothic architecture. Cause you know, I've always kind of been an emo kid, but I love this movie. I, I love the creative visual style. That's really a mix between Blade Runner and the 1989 Batman that perfectly captures that 1990s grunge era. I love the performance of Brandon Lee who tragically was, was taken too soon. Uh, this movie would have undoubtedly launched a, a massive, massive career for him. And it's really tragic what happened. Uh, yeah. Oddly enough, you know, when I was really into this movie, which was around 13, 14, Heath Ledger, whose performance as Joker is often compared to, to Brennan Lee or Eric Draven, all, uh, also tragically died around the time that I really was getting into this movie. So it's weird kind of how that worked out. You know, going on the movie as a whole, though, is this movie really a straightforward revenge movie? Yeah, it is. It's it sure is. But it's themes of, of using, you know, your trauma as a strength, like at the end against Top Dollar um, when he gets his comeuppance. It's creative visual style, the, the killer soundtrack. I mean, my God, Burned by the Cure is one of my favorite songs ever. Love that song. Um, it's beautiful outlook on life, too. Like... This movie is perceived as being very dark, and it is. On the surface, it is. But beneath all of that are moments of pure joy and beauty. You know, moments like Eric saving Sarah while she's skateboarding on the street, which leads to one of my favorite lines for the movie, It Can't Rain All the Time. Um, Eric and Sarah embracing for the first time after she finds out who he is. Uh, the moment of the kids playing on Halloween, and Eric smiling and laughing. And of course, the ending with Eric and Shelley embracing each other as Eric goes to his grave. You know, it's it's moments like that, moments of, of pure joy and beauty, I think, that remind me that while life can bring you down, that it can't rain all the time. And I just, that's, that's why I, I love this movie. I'll also add in that the Eric Draven suit up scene is one of my favorites in any movie. I just, I get chills every time because the mix of burn by the care playing, but it's that, that every night I burn uh, lyric. And then you see the flash of lightning and you see his face and the camera pans back. It's just so good. It's so good. I just, I, I love this movie. This, this movie is, has so much cheesy 90s editing in it. And like, I kind of want to fault it for that. This movie is, is dated in in its direction. That's fair. It, it's it, it's certainly made in a time capsule. It's it's yeah. that nineteen nineties grunge era. It's certainly nineties grunge. Yeah, exactly. Um, as far as where I land on the like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, think it's just okay scale. I think I'm right on the border of liked it and loved it. I think actually I like it, but as I mentioned, because it means so much to me personally, because it means so much to Mike personally. I think it kind of just transcends that to the loved it. So I think I'm right on that line to kind of to kind of balance the two out. On on the basis, you're right. On the on the surface level, this is a straightforward revenge movie, but it's the deeper things about it that make this movie really something special. They, so. they really stick out. It takes that's the 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 beauty of this movie is the simplicity. Yes, this movie is very straightforward. It's not two plus hours. You get glimpses of the life before, which are very vibrant colors, and then you get the grim look of now, um, juxtaposed to moments of beauty, which is very, you know, 
relevant to how real life goes. Life is very bittersweet. And the way that this movie decides to take that and make, you know, those sweet moments last. And it's those moments that make life worth living. And it's it's just it's it's a terrific movie in that sense. And it's also I highly recommend if you love this movie watching the behind the scenes because mm. there is a specific quote from Brandon Lee quoting he's quoting something else but he's talking about it and it's very eerie that he was saying this while on the set making this movie knowing now what happened it's very eerie but it's it's beautiful and it really it it makes the movie that much more beautiful i guess you could say maybe it's because i'm just i'm so nostalgic about this movie but i just i love this movie yeah, and maybe maybe let's t- let maybe now is a good time to to talk about the death of Brandon Lee in it. Man, what 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 a talent that was tragically taken too soon. Uh, I mean, you've you've talked about how he for sure would have had an A list career after this, um, at least for for a decent amount of time. And I'm also going to throw in there the while you're checking out some of the behind the scenes stuff. The episode of Cursed Films about this one is is absolutely terrific. It's a uh, it explores everything that had to go wrong for for Brandon to have died on set, and just, I mean, unfor- you can't hold one person responsible. It's, it's just an accident, and it's realistically seven people's faults. But it's it's a good exploration of that, and there there you can also just tell there's so much respect for the for the person Brandon Lee that everybody seemed to get along with him off the set, and uh, had nothing but the nicest things to say about him. I mean, it's just he he was truly special, mm-hmm. and. Uh, he apparently was like a, a daredevil and a bit of a prankster. <laughs> that, that too, yeah. yeah. But he, but he seemed like that guy who was he was clean cut. You know, he wasn't like abusing drugs or things like that. And he was just in general had a good, good spirit to him, um, and just made everybody happy with yeah. his presence. And so, um, and that's that's the kind of person I think Hollywood needs a little bit more of. Absolutely. Uh, you know, kind of like a Chris Pratt of 1994. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except way better at martial arts. Yeah, I was about to say. Uh, being the son of, of of Bruce Lee, I think he uh, <laughs> I think he knows a little bit, a, a couple things about martial arts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's crazy. What th- this movie is really cursed because especially when you, you when you think about what happened to to unfortunately to Brandon Lee on this movie, but then you go to the sequels. You know, City of Angels. I can't. I am somebody even if I don't like a movie out of the integrity that I ha- and respect I have for these filmmakers, I will try to sit and watch them all or even the ones I don't like. Uh, but I can't finish that movie. It's just, it's not very good. I didn't see the other direct to video films that were done uh, after that one failed at the box office. But I do know it's like, like wicked prayer and salvation, I think. Yeah. And I think one of them, Kristen Dunst, Kristen Dunst is in. Yeah. Kristen Dunst is in salvation. And, uh, Edward Furlong is in, uh, yeah. um, the wicked prayer and Tara Reed as well. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's wild. Right. If I remember correctly, there's been several attempts to remake this. I think with Bradley Cooper at one point, Bradley Cooper, Mark Wahlberg, most recently was Jason Momoa. Jason Momoa is the one. That one's the one that got the closest to being made, too. There was Tom Hiddleston for a while, which I think would have probably been the, the best casting. 
And Luke Evans. And Luke Evans was another big one, yeah. Yeah, so they've tried to make this movie several times, Jason Momoa being the most recent, I think the one that got the closest to being made. Also, Channing Tatum, Robert Pattinson, James McAvoy, Alexander Skarsgård um, were all attached at some point, uh, whether it was just initial talks or not. Nicholas Holt. Um, See, Robert Pattinson could have pulled and, off this role, I think. Yeah. And then uh, F. Javier Gutierrez was, I think, the closest to actually getting to direct it, um, other than uh, Corin Hardy. Yeah. Like, I remember it being a big deal when Jason Momoa was cast, which I love Jason Momoa. It would have been interesting to see him as Eric Draven, but I could have, I could have seen it. He yeah. has the long hair. He has the look. Yeah. So while we're talking about the, spe- the sequels, I only saw City of Angels. I did get to the end of it, but I immediately forgot everything about it because it, it was awful. It was really terrible. Um, and I normally would, you know, I really wish that at least one of the sequels was good, but um, I, you could not get me to, to watch City of Angels again and probably not um, the other ones because City of Angels at least has like a five point something on IMDb where the other ones have like a three and a two. And it's just like, you know, there's a, there's, apparently if it's way worse than City of Angels, which is already just awful. Um, did you, there is a, there was a TV series about it that ran for it one year that uh, is just a remake. It has the Eric Draven story. It's not a different story. Um, I did catch the pilot of this and I remember thinking that I didn't really like it the first time, but I kind of want to check it out again because I think it's, it's free on IMDb TV or something like that. I've never, um, I've never seen it. I didn't even know it existed till just now <laughs> yeah it's uh I, I i remember watching it at some point uh it's got fairly high ratings like i said you could watch it on uh on f- for free uh it's called stairway to heaven came out in 1998 so four years after that um you could watch it oh free on bravo now bravo or like that, bravotv.com okay. uh, and it has um uh mark uh Tukaskas as eric draven who is um he's zero in john wick chapter three one of the Asian um, attackers. Uh, he's the guy that runs the the sushi stand. So, he's the guy from that chef show, right? No, uh, he's in Wu Assassins, and he's in, well, I guess Iron Chef America. Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, Iron Chef. Okay, you said the chef show, and I thought you meant John Favreau's the no, chef no, no, show. No. Iron Chef, yeah, yeah. And uh, Agents of Shield, and. Yeah, a uh, lot. I mean, a lot of credits. A pretty recognizable name. I, I just remember thinking that it took the best parts of the movie, but it didn't do well with them. But it's 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 highly rated, so I kind of want to check it out. Mm. It's got like an eight point something IMDb, and some some of the reviews say this is really good and a really good tribute to the original movie, and some people are like this is a travesty. <laughs> like if you could if you could find it somewhere to watch for free, like what's the worst you could do? So yeah, that's that. Yeah, I I'll have to check that out. Like I said, though, I. This movie holds a special place in my heart. It is in my top ten favorite comic book movies of all time. So, I I, I adore this movie. Um, again, it's simple, it's sweet, but if you're a '90s kid like me that uh, loves uh, rock music, loves that era of rock music, then you'll 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 dig this movie. I think. Well, and so that brings up two, that brings up two points. This movie is a lot more charming than I remember it being. Um, I remember this being just dark and gritty and grungy and uh, emo. Like I, I remember it being that. It's got some fun lines to it. It's got some fun to like. I have I have here a list of quotes of just. I started writing down some of the things that I I thought really I loved. Uh, but there's when when Eric uh, takes over the pawn shop to get his engagement ring back from Shelly, and he you know torments the the owner who's you know d bag, and then 
um, kind of burns the place right before he does that. He loads a bunch of rings into the shotgun and he's just like, is that gasoline? I smell like that's such a cool line. Like what a baller. And then, uh, and then they ask, uh, the cop asks him about, you know, T-Bird's gang and he's like, they're all dead. They just don't know it yet. And then like one of the most brutal lines about a murder that I've heard of all time is, uh, um, when they're talking about the death of Tintin and the detective says somebody stuck blades in all of his organs in alphabetical order. I'm like, Oh, you don't mess with that. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the, and then the one where he, he goes up to the cop, I think it's the cop. And he says, uh, what are you, some kind of ghost? He goes, boo. <laughs> it's like, this movie's charming. Yeah, it's when he's in the, uh, and, uh, the cops, uh, it's when he first gets to the cop's house and he walks in and he grabs a beer from the bridge. He gives it to him. Opens up and he looks at a beer like he'd never seen this beer in his life, but it's just a Coors Light. Yeah. <laughs> and then also, um, you mentioned the, the music several times. Is that the cranberries in the club? No. Um, if I remember okay. correctly, that is a uh, that is a small local band. I think when I was listening to the, the now this don't quote me on this, but I if I remember correctly, this is from the DVD commentary. I listened to this several years ago it's a local band from that area that the person who was on the 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 commentary really liked well they they have a very cranberries vibe to them and i dug it and just, I, the, the female vocalist sounded just like um the cranberries and this is the sound. um and they don't have to take you away song yeah yeah it's a good it's, song. It's sound- it sounds like it could be by the cranberries man i would love to see this movie with a tool soundtrack that would be epic. Yeah, that 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 could that could work. That could work. I would be oh, on yeah. board for that. I would be on board for My Chemical Romance. Maybe some of the like slower stuff. And I would be on uh, board for, uh, of course, Nine Inch Nails, Trent Reznor. Yeah, their song, yeah, of course, Nirvana. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. And because I'm a such a Thirty Seconds to Mars fan, Thirty Seconds to Mars. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, I could see that. But Tool would be really would be great. Yeah, this. I mean, this would be perfect for Tool. Um, also, I want to kind of travel back. You talked about the costume, and I love how his costume evolves in the movie. Like he starts off by just wearing, like he throws on. You were talking about him getting ready, and he puts on the face paint. Um, which fun trivia I looked up for this. Apparently, he would put he asked makeup to put on the face paint before he went to bed. That way, it would look worn when they actually shot. And I just thought it works. But the uh, you know he first throws on the the black long sleeve and black pants, and then after he uh, uh, kills Tintin, then he takes Tintin's trench coat, and then uh, and then as he he heals himself from the bullet, but then he the clothes obviously don't do that, and so he just starts like wrapping himself in like black electrical tape. Like I love how his costume just evolves throughout the movie. Of course, and there's the I I had a uh, an action figure of him. I think I still do somewhere. Uh, it's like a collectible. It's him at the oh yeah um, at the end where he has the uh, the big thing on top of the. It's he's like using it for a sword. Yeah the 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 thing at the top of the church. Um, I had that back in the day, and that was one of my favorite things about that was the outfit and how it looked. And you never in the movie like you see it tattered, but in the action figure you see like oh no, he's, his whole midsection is essentially tape. <laughs> like right, yeah, it's really cool. I love the outfit. Man, that sounds epic. Also, really love the uh, South Park bit about guys dressing up as uh, the Crow or Eric Draven for Halloween. It's like too many people do this. I want to do it. It's my no one else dressed up as a Crow. I'm going to do it. It's funny. Yeah, that's hilarious. 
And I should have, I've, because for those of you listening, I used to have very long hair. I definitely should have been the crow at least once when I had long hair, and I wasn't ever, which is unfortunate. I think I found your toy on eBay. Sorry, your collectible on eBay. It, he, has, he has the top of the church, and it looks like it also is a set with top dollar. Yes. Okay. Yeah, there's one going on eBay for like 45 bucks, apparently 2005 release. But yeah, man, that costume is legit. Yeah, man. It's awesome. That's it's very detailed. Also, it looks like he's got some barbed wire wrapped around him. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it's it, anyway. it is a really cool figure. Anyway, man, I can't see T-Bird without seeing James Franco. I mean, he looks just like when he's playing Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> You'll never see him the same way again, will you? No, no, I won't. He has the same facial structure. So, I mean, even when I saw this movie before the disaster artist existed, I mean, he just, he, he looks just like James Franco. I almost just really, you know, it, it's, it's weird looking at, looking at T-Bird and him, him just not being like, oh, hi, Mark. Like, oh, hi, Mark. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to look this up. T-Bird. <laughs> uh, while you're doing that, I got, I got a gripe about this movie. And that's the only reason that Ernie Hudson was ever demoted to a beat cop from detective is that so that they can have a connection to him being the person that was, you know, examining the scene of Eric Draven's murder and still run into Eric along the lines somewhere around devil's night. That was, uh, there was that. And after watching it this time, I'm 100% convinced that Heath Ledger's Joker was mainly inspired by Brandon Lee's Eric Draven. And I'm also just kind of surprised that Rochelle Davis, who plays Sarah, which we haven't talked about much at all, uh, that she didn't at least have a minor career after this. This is like her only acting credit in anything. She could have had a, a semi-decent career. She's she's good in this movie. Yeah, she was like, um, yeah. But, but I also I wonder if maybe having such a re- close relationship with Brandon Lee on your first movie set, I wonder if that kind of steered her away from, from the film industry or just Hollywood in general. Um, if that kind of scurried her away. Could have been. Um, um, I know the, the, the making of this movie was difficult because they were shooting nights, you know, that's true. And it was constantly raining and everything like that. So it was, it was, a diff- and if it wasn't actually raining, they were artificially making it rain. Yeah. So it was, it was a very difficult production. Um, I also have there's a, the one last quote I have here is when he's uh, when he's dealing with Sarah's mom and he says mother is the name of God on the lips of all the hearts of all the children out there. I thought that was just um, a really good way to to kind of slap Darla around. Yeah, and he squeezes the uh, drugs out of her. Yeah, yeah. He's like, your your daughter's home. She's waiting for. He's like, morphine is bad. <laughs> yeah, morphine is bad for you. <laughs> did you did you find what you were looking up? Yes, I did. Uh, T-Bird. Are you thinking of a different... Because T-Bird is the, the guy who gets ex- exploded in the car. Oh, then yes. I'm thinking of the head guy. Um, uh, that would be top, top dollar. dog. Top dollar. Top dog. Top, excuse me. Top dollar, not top dog. Top. Well, we were talking before we recorded that yeah. all these names are just kind of... They blend in. Anyway. Yeah. But yeah, top dollar looks yeah. just like James Franco. His, his voice is... Sounds like James Franco smoked like a pack of cigarettes a day maybe two yeah but yeah the look yeah, way to put it. yeah very similar i really only have two other notes and one is that I mean, we've talked about the story being rather bland uh but the i think the mythos makes this special especially the thing that really makes this movie special to me is the uh the ability to transfer or receive memories and you see that when he gets the memories from the cops uh about how the how the cop you know took his time and stayed with shelly in the icu and really wanted her to live and he got to witness things from his eyes 
and you got to see the way that he interacted with Sarah. I mean, I thought that was really powerful, and you could see the way that that affected Eric. And uh, and then, man, what a, what an interesting, perfect way to kill Top Dollar to just to to get him just so awestruck by the violence that he's caused and then he just falls to his own death and of course gotta land on a gargoyle because if there's a gargoyle and you fall from roof you gotta land on it but um, <laughs> yeah he but what what a he, what a really powerful emotional way to to kind of end his character and for eric to deal with him he uses his pain to get rid of the villain uses it as a strength yeah He's like, it's just like, I don't want it anymore. Like 30 hours of pain. Like 30 hours just, of pain. I don't need it anymore. I mean, it's some, it's some quality Brandon Lee acting and it, it, it's, it's big and bombastic, you know, f- finale fight on the top, on the church roof up, you know, but visuals are great. I love the, I love the, the, the miniatures that they are and everything, the blending of it. It's, it's very, I, I love it. Oh yeah. Uh, the only other note that I have is I just wish there was more backstory on the characters. I mean, we don't really need it, but I just wish that we would have gotten to see Brandon and Shelly together other than the like 15 second flashes that they have, 90% of which are the murder or, you know, the the rape before the murder. And so I just, I wish that even if it was just one scene of seeing Brandon and Shelly together, I, but I get that the tone of this movie is to be just very dark and kind of just linger in that. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have anything else to say. So I'm just, man, you just go for it. If, whatever you have left to say. I, I am tapped out. Um, I will just say that this movie is in, incredibly good. It is, it is one of my favorite comic book films ever made in fact like i just said like i said previously it's in my top 10 favorite comic book movies of all time i i adore this movie i think it's wonderful i think it's perfectly executed and there are several actors you know in my head that i would love to see take on the character of eric draven but none of them in my mind i don't think could capture what brandon lee was able to do and how special he was able to make this movie I love this movie and I was not really, you know, like I said, is this movie, you know, straightforward vengeance movie? Yeah, it is, but there's stuff within it, you know, that makes the film that much more beautiful in my, in my mind. It's those little moments spliced between the darkness that make this movie terrific. I completely agree with you there. I think, frankly, if they are still trying to remake this movie, they should just have it be a different character. Just leave Eric Draven alone. You can tell the story uh, or a similar story with any other people and let him be him. I think there's enough differences between the character of Eric Draven in the comics and the movies that you can you know, make him a, make him a little different and just give him a different name. Um, to kind of preserve that legacy. But uh, speaking of the graphic novel as well, I, I went ahead and bought this. I've been wanting to buy it ever since I've seen the movie, but I, I went ahead and finally pulled the trigger uh, and I have not gotten around to digging in it just yet. Um, I thought about it before the pot, you know, wanted to get around to it before we recorded so I could have something to say, but I just didn't not yet, but I do own the graphic novel now and I'm definitely going to be digging into that at some point. Uh, well, Ben, are you ready to move on to the B plot? Let's do it. All right, I'm really excited about this because, as we've talked a lot, uh, Brandon Lee was ha- was on the trajectory to become an all star, uh, to become uh, a really a Hollywood action movie a lister. What what we thought we would really like to do is let's let's imagine an alternate reality where 
every you know somebody caught the accident and Brandon Lee didn't die on set, what movie roles would we have loved to see him in? Um, and you know, obviously, all the respect out there to um, to him and his estate and, and his uh, uh, his performance and his legacy and all that. But just uh, just what would have been some of those roles that we would have liked to see him in? something that he could have just crushed and uh, knocked out of the park. So, uh, Ben, why don't you go ahead and start? I have five listed. I'll start off with the most obvious one. It's Neo. I think him and Keanu Reeves have a, a similar energy to them. Okay. And it's a similar charisma. Um, I think Brendan Lee, maybe, you know, if, if we would have had a larger sample size, maybe it would have a little bit, a little bit easier to, to tell the difference between the two. But for me, I... Seeing him as Neo would have been incredible, especially because you know his martial arts background and everything like that. I think he could have pulled it off real nice. Yeah, that would have been excellent. And uh, and probably also the other thing we should say about this list is that, at least for my list, almost everybody I picked, I really loved who's in that role. But yeah. it's just... So, like, I don't have Neo on my list, but, man, that's an excellent choice. And there's nothing wrong with Keanu in that choice. Absolutely but... not. He's... He's perfect. Keanu Reeves is perfect. It's just I would love to see Brendan Lee's take on it. I agree. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and keep in theme here. I'm going to follow you. Uh, I'm going to say John Wick. Oh, you know what? That's this one number two as well. So Is that? Yeah. Again, going with the Keanu stuff. And, and it's largely because there's so much that the actor gets to do themselves. And it's so heavy on, on stunt work and all that. And I think that they're similar ages. So you still can have the same story and the same feel uh, with how with how that is, and again, Keanu's perfect in this role. But if you could add a little bit extra martial arts, and I mean, it, Brandon Lee being able to do that um, without having to do all the training beforehand, and potentially even more than what Keanu can do, um, yeah, man, John Wick. Yeah, John. He would have. I, I feel like he could have crushed John Wick. I, I feel like that would have been wonderful to see him put on like a martial arts display with that. That would have been incredible. Well, how about how about since that was your number two? I'll give one of my alternate takes. Um, I only have two. I only have two alternate takes because uh, these are roles I think he would be great for. There's just I don't know that there was a movie that he could that he was written for kind of in this time frame. And one of them is I think he would crush being a Bond Bond villain. I was just thinking about I just don't know who though. Um, I mean, in reality, kind of the way that the Bond's movies are probably the henchmen because usually the villains are kind of brains and the henchmen are the brawn. Uh, but I think I think he could do it. I mean, probably this Rami Malek that is coming up. Probably Brandon Lee would have would be the closest thing that he could do really well. But yeah, I mean, I, I thought about Silva for a second, but even Silva's not even a, like a physical person. So I, I I think he could be a really great Bond villain um, for a movie that's not written. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I, I could see him being like a uh, a James Bond villain. Yeah. Um. Another one that I have written down here. And this one's out of left field. Tyler Durden. Oh, um, Norton or Pitt? Uh, Pitt. Because yeah, yeah. Brendan Lee oozed charisma. And I would love to see him in a type of role that gets away from that martial arts background. Like the crow does. The crow gets away from that completely. It abandons it. And this could do the exact same thing. Like I know it's fight club, but it's not martial arts. They're brawlers at the beginning, at least. So like, I would love to see what his take would. And again, Brad Pitt as Tyler Durden is one of my favorite performances of all time. So it goes to show how much I think of Brandon Lee and what I 
think he could have brought to that role. It'd been interesting to see. That's an excellent pick. Thank you. Kudos to you. So far, I think I think we're on we're on a great track of of picking these. Um, again, as much as I love him in what he's in, I I I would love to see Brandon Lee as Obi Wan in the Star Wars prequels. Nice, nice, um, nice. I'm on a similar wavelength to you, but I I won't say who. So I'll just okay. Yeah, I, I picked Obi Wan because he uh, I mean he's about the same age range, and so. Um, so you could still have that be the case, but imagine if you had a martial arts expert uh, in in Jedi combat. And I, I thought about putting Darth Maul for a hot second, uh, but I mean, I think Ray Park is is great. Uh, I mean, as complicated as the person of Ray Park is now, apparently, um, he as a just stuntman, um, it was great for the time. So to to see somebody like Brandon Lee go against Ray Park in their primes would have been pretty would have been something really cool. Um I mean the only thing Brandon Lee's missing is a British accent, but uh I think he could have been just as lovable and maybe brought a little bit more to the actual action of it. Maybe so. Maybe so. So I have it listed as five for me, but I'm gonna since we're on Star Wars, I'll go ahead and put it in. Quite on again. Okay. I, I think he would have been a great Qui-Con Jinn because as Dave Filoni said in the making of the Mandalorian or the round, not the making of, but the round table, he has that wonderful speech about the reason that duel is called duel of the fates is because if Qui-Con is to live, that's the father that Anakin needs. And I think Brandon Lee, especially what that's 1999. You could have aged him up a bit. Qui-Con Jinn was that father that Anakin needed, and I think Brandon Lee could have brought that to that role. Not saying, again, this isn't taking away anything from the actors that play have played these roles wonderfully. Uh, all the ones that I've named, whether it's Keanu Reeves with John Wick and The, uh, the Matrix, or Brad Pitt as Tyler Durden, there's just something about Brandon Lee. I think he would have been a great Qui-Con Jinn. He would have been able to capture that presence of of someone who could have been a father figure to to Anakin. Um, love Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon Jinn, but it would have been really cool, really, really cool to see Brandon Lee as a Jedi and see him be Qui-Gon Jinn, man. Oh my God, the coolest Jedi. Qui-Gon Jinn's the coolest Jedi for me. <laughs> so I, he's the hippie Jedi. So I, I think he would have been, I think Brandon Lee could have, would have been a wonderful Qui-Gon Jinn. Sure. Yeah, I think I was just primarily thinking age differences as as kind of a hindrance to that. But yeah, I totally I totally get and and respect that. I'm going to talk about the one I think is my favorite pick. Oh, yeah, probably probably my favorite. And here's why it's my favorite is because I think this is this is the one that I definitely see as this person was in my opinion a slight weakness to the movie and I think and I think having uh having Brandon Lee in this role would make it better. I'm going with Old Joe in Looper. So Bruce Willis, and the reason why I don't think it's great is because they have to use CGI to fix Jordan or to not fix to to alter Joseph Gordon-Levitt so he looks a little bit more like what a Bruce Willis would turn into. I mean, it's a little bit of both, Uh, but either way, I I feel like Joseph Gordon-Levitt when Looper came out was kind of near where Brandon Brandon Lee is, and you can you probably wouldn't have to use any visual effects and. Uh, I mean, you would imagine somebody with with Joe's background being good at combat and things like that. So, um, I, yeah, and, and it's, we're talking about the right age. 
for that role. Yeah, I would I would have picked Brandon Lee as the Bruce Willis character in Looper. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's a good pick. That's a that's a real good pick. I like that, I love that movie too. My my last pick, and this is kind of one on the lines of my number one and number two, just because as I alluded to earlier, apparently Brandon Lee was a bit of a daredevil. I would have loved to have seen him play Ethan Hunt and growing. Okay. Now, I know that takes a little bit away from Tom Cruise and his legacy, which, you know, he's an Oscar-nominated actor. His legacy now is he's the guy who does all these crazy stunts that no one else could do, and he learns how to, like, actually fly, like, an F-16 for Top Gun 2, which is insane. I would have loved to have seen uh, Brandon Lee do some absolutely bonker stunts for the mission impossible franchise. That would have been, that would have been really cool. Yeah, man. I got a quirky um, smile on my face because I really thought you were going with what I have for number five. I, I would cast Brandon Lee in 2003's daredevil. (laughs) (laughs) So you said, so you said he's a bit of a daredevil and I'm like, is he going to say it? That's actually, that's really cool. I, I, yeah, I I like that. I like that casting. I really want, I mean, I, I thought about putting this in an alternate because I want him to be in a better version of the Daredevil movie. Uh, but I mean, I, I, I've said before, I, I don't think I've ever seen the theatrical cut. I think I've only ever seen the director's cut. And I really like the director's cut. Um, it's really good. Uh, and, you know, Ben Affleck is fine in that. But especially if you, I really wish they would just take kind of the Charlie Cox series version and take that into the 2002 movie just because I mean they they don't really lean on his martial arts background in the the Ben Affleck one um so I don't, I don't even think stick is in it at all so mm-hmm. if you get if you take um if you take kind of that but obviously he would have been too old to play Daredevil but at least at least the version the age range of Daredevil they were going for I mean Daredevil doesn't need to be a 20 or 30 year old or something like that there's no reason why there could be a you know 45 50 year old brandon lee playing daredevil but i think that would have been excellent especially if they could have leaned into the martial arts a little bit more because obviously yeah well daredevil's my it's funny that you know robert pattinson has is batman now because for a long time robert pattinson daredevil's my third favorite superhero so robert pattinson was my fan casting for daredevil hmm he he was. I thought he would have been a wonderful Daredevil. I mean, obviously okay. you know, he's Batman, but it's funny to me, Robert Pattinson. Uh, when you were listening out to people who were like rumored or were going to be Eric Draven's The Crow, Robert Pattinson was on there. Uh, so that's that's a pretty funny connection. But uh, I uh, yeah, I, I would have loved to have seen Brandon Lee as Daredevil. That would have been, that would have been really cool. Yeah. Uh, and I have one other alternate, and this is just because there is no movie like this, uh, but I, I want to bring him back into comics. And, you know, I mean, initially I thought, you know, the Joker, the Dark Knight, but I think that, no, you can't take away that from Heath Ledger. And given that that performance is essentially the same from as The Crow, I mean, it's it's got its differences, but you could definitely tell that character is based in that. I think Brandon Lee would have been an excellent Riddler, specifically with the Hush storyline. Um, like get like the dark twisted um, Riddler who's got some damage to him. I think that would have been excellent. It's probably what we're going to get with the Batman Riddler. I hope. I'm so hopeful. 
but I but I think yeah, if you give me like a Batman Hush um, movie, kind of like in that Nolan trilogy, and you cast Brian Lee as as Riddler for that, that would be excellent. I'd like to see that. Excellent. Well, I'm I'm really proud of the list that we threw together, and uh, we just got one more thing we got to do here on the episode, and that's we got a spinoff. So uh, Ben, what is the one thing in pop culture that you want to tell everybody to either run to or stay away from? Well, after you watch these movies, I'm going to recommend you'll probably want to run away. Um, <laughs> since it's the horror season and on, uh, my podcast, I'm going over a bunch of horror movies that, I, I, that mean a lot to me or that have scarred me for life. in, in some way, I'm going to recommend the two that have scarred me for life, which are hereditary and the exorcist. I have, uh, a, a, a Christian upbringing and I, and I'm a, you know, a, a Christian myself. That's how I identify my faith. And these movies terrify me because of that. Uh, they are both flat out terrifying. Um, and while Hereditary is really similar to The Exorcist, um, I think they're very, very similar. Um, I think The Exorcist might be a little bit of a better movie about faith and cause, because it's more hopeful at the end. Because it's about a someone who's struggling with their faith regaining their faith. Um, hereditary is not that it's this constant battering ram to the nerves that doesn't ever give any sense of hope whatsoever. It traumatized me. I, I had to call my wife on the way home from the movie theater and talk to her all, all the way home because that movie scared me so bad. It scared me so bad. Um, so in short, if you want to be freaked out this Halloween season, I highly recommend either Hereditary or The Exorcist. I, you know, I had a very similar story with when the first time I watched Hereditary, which was I had watched it and I just thought it was so bonkers, but in a good way. And I was driving to go see my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and we lived an hour and a half apart. And so we utilized Marco Polo in video messaging and I sent her like a 20 minute messaging of me just kind of explaining and decompressing after this movie. So yeah this movie messed that that movie messed me up so bad like i I went to go see it thinking because you always hear the tagline scariest movie since the exorcist and you're thinking okay slow down now slow down yeah yeah. and then i go see this movie at like 10 40 at night and i by the end of this movie i was covering my eyes and ears saying please no please no be let it be over let it be over like it was, it was, ter- and I'm I'm not a small guy. This movie terrified me. Made me, it made me feel like a small guy. I'll tell you that much. Okay. Yeah. Um, ben, for my spinoff, do you want me to recommend or warn a movie that I watched? I, you know, I want to ask you about a movie. Is that okay? Sure. What are your thoughts on Enola Holmes? Yeah. So, so for the uh, listeners who are wondering, um, I told Ben the two because he asked uh, the two titles, but not which one they go, which category they go in, whether that was the one that I was going to say watch or the one that I was going to say I didn't enjoy. Um, so, so he, I guess he's just going for title, and you know, are we going to match this with uh, with I enjoyed or or I did not? And uh, and Ben, the answer is I did not enjoy Enola Holmes. Oof. I enjoyed about probably half of it. I would lay it to the it's just okay. 
category, uh, which is a shame because you guys know how I was excited, how excited I was about it when when Robert and I did it for the coming attraction. But uh, I think it's directed uh, pretty well. I think there's some visual things they do are really cool, um, specifically like with Scrabble and wordplay and things like that. Uh, Millie Bobby Bobby Brown is terrific, and some of the fight choreography is is good. The the fourth wall breaks are um, hit or miss depending on the situation. They, they don't all hit and they don't all miss. And uh, I, I think that the story is, I mean, it's fairly simplistic in nature, but it's like, it, it's a simple story, but the movie tries to make it this complex thing. And it really just loses me. And especially anytime you have some sort of like murder mystery, and then you throw in politics in it, you're going to lose me. And this movie lost me. You know, I know there's a lot of people that are like, yeah, we'd really like to see more of this. And I mean, I'd probably check out another one. Hopefully they learn from their mistakes, but uh, I I would not say go out of your way to see this movie. It's it's fine, especially if you have a young a young child, especially a young woman or a young girl in your house. Uh, this uh, this would be a, a good watch for a family movie night. But if you're just like really excited about this, then uh, I honestly don't know I'll ever see this movie again. I kind of had a similar experience. I, I really like it. Well, I take it back. I like it. But the issues I have with it are that the tone and some of the fight scenes, they're brutal. They're, they're like kind of violent. Fight oh, yeah. Scenes. Oh, yeah. But the movie is the tone of the movie is it's very kid friendly. Mm-hmm. So it's not very consistent in that. And that's what kind of that was really my issue with the movie. Overall, though, I, I still I enjoy it. It's a good watch. I don't know if I'll watch it again. But I enjoyed it while I was watching it. Yeah, and I also just, I I wish that there was more movies that there could be young kids that don't have to be romantically involved, even if they're, you know, the opposite sex. Like, um, and it's it's something I think just as a culture, um, it it kind of affects us because between parents, always anytime a, a boy and a girl become friends, you know, they're like, oh, is she your girlfriend? Like between all that and then all the times, I very rarely find healthy platonic friendships between opposite sex portrayed in young people. And I mean, even like stranger things does the same thing with Millie Bobby Brown and with any female character that they're getting introduced. I mean, it did it uh, with every single guy was trying to get with the, the, the girl. Like it, it's, that's part of the other thing. I, I just really wish that there was more. And I think Enola Holmes had a chance to do that. And I uh, just didn't, I, I mean, that's a personal gripe. I can't super fault the movie for that, but I just wish as a culture, we moved, we moved a little bit beyond that. Because that, that that kind of drives me up a wall at this point. I can see that. There definitely needs to be better uh, representation when it comes to male and female relationships. They don't always end in, in a romantic way. And that's just not a uh, an accurate representation of real life. You know what I mean? I have and still do have plenty of friends that are girls. And that's exactly what it is. You know yeah. what I mean? So. And, and and you should. Exactly. And, but, I'm, but I'm just saying, I, I think... I'm trying to think of honestly any of the times that I have seen it portrayed, I think, well recently. And I mean, I can't really think of any. I think Bumblebee is probably about the best example, which I mean, the the guy wants to get with Haley Steinfeld, but she's not interested and he's willing to be okay with that. And I don't get the sense that they're going to end up together um, when I watch that. And, you know, it's it's kind of a bad thing when you're saying Bumblebee did the best out of any movie recently. I like you know, that movie. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, that, that, that's kind of the only one I could think of, of a good example of a healthy kind of kid relationship in a platonic sense of opposite sex. So anyway, that's just one other gripe that I had to bring up. 
uh, I'll step off my soapbox now because, uh, Ben, that's a wrap. Uh, just a quick reminder that Sip Pop Writer's Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows by visiting studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player search bar. If you are interested in writing for Sif Pop or you want to get in contact with us, maybe send us a question to explore during the B-plot, then you can email us at writersroom at sifpop.com. Additionally, if you want to write for the site, you can also just email or send a message to Ben on, on his stuff that he's going to promote in a second. But uh, uh, if you want to support the show, help out with some costs we pay for out of pocket, such as fees, equipments, and rentals, you can Venmo me at Schweitcastle, or you can email me, um, and I'll send you a PayPal address that you can send stuff to. Um, you follow me on Twitter at Schweitcastle, as well as Letterboxd. Uh, please, if you're on iTunes don't or Apple Podcasts, whatever it is now, uh, please don't forget to leave us a review. It helps out the show more than you will ever know. Uh, but Ben, now's the time. Pimp your stuff. Where can people find you? And where can people tell you about? I don't have a. I don't have a fun, clever joke to say. Tell you about something. <laughs> uh, you can you can follow me on Instagram at uh, Ben Davis Movie Podcast, where I uh, will occasionally post reviews. I'm actually doing a series right now where people have emailed me, uh, or not emailed me, but written in movies for me to horror films for me to review for this month so be paying close attention to that got a couple of those dropping i also um have a podcast of my own ben davis movie podcast um drop an episode every monday um you can listen to listen to me over there um and you can follow me on twitter at john underscore benjamin underscore where i occasionally post my thoughts on movie news and movie related stuff i usually don't post too much about anything else yeah um Next time you're on in a month, uh, we're going to be talking about V for Vendetta. So here's your one month warning to watch that movie. And uh, next week, uh, I will have Alice on, Alice from Australia on again, and we'll be chatting movies this time. So excited to have her back on and excited to have Ben back on in a month. But, you know, for the meantime, Ben, we got to get back to the writer's room. Mm-hmm.